0: Welcome to the Big Biz Show, featuring insight, analysis, and a lot of stuff that's none of your business. Uh, hold on. This is the Big Biz Show. I think it is their business.
1: Uh, Making the markets work for you. Here's the man with the plan, Sully. From the last 100
0: studio beautiful sunny Southern California,
2: Big Biz Show rolls on. Misha, Misha Dogan is the CEO and co-founder of Cardio Diagnostics. I just want to get this out so she can reprimand me as the CEO <laughs> of Cardio Misha, how are you? I appreciate you sitting through our uh, our dietary problems. It's going to get us to uh, be fans of Cardio Diagnostics. By the way, CDIO is a sock symbol. CDIO, and you can go to Cardio Diagnostics Inc. How are you, ma'am?
3: I am doing well. Thank you for having me. And loved hearing about all the uh, food and that's making me hungry.
2: Have, what, is the, what is the last bad thing you ate? I'm going to say kale. Right? <laughs> Too much salad dressing?
3: Um, probably fried chicken.
2: Yes! She's oh, our girl! Wow. Come on! Bless you. There's a theme today. There yes. we are going on way home? Hey, Misa, look, um, one of your shareholders had contacted us in terms of, uh, of featuring you, and of course, um, we feature many people, but it's always interesting to be able to pull that the covers on a, a public company with a, with, a, with a CEO. Talk to us about top-down cardiodiagnostics and your approach to heart disease.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. So thank you for having me. always love talking about what we do uh, just because our mission is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, I generally widely share about how I come from a family with two generations history of heart disease. So it's both personal and professional, but we're a precision cardiovascular medicine company and we're focused on getting ahead of heart disease and that means thinking about a new way of assessing risk for, detecting, treating, and managing heart disease. And the way we go about it is essentially to go to the foundational blueprint of who we are, and that's our DNA. Um, And when we go to each individual's DNA, a lot of times when people think DNA, they think genetics, which is great, right? It's the DNA hardware that we inherit from our parents, But a lot of times, there's more to DNA than just genetics. And if we're thinking about heart disease, only about 20% of heart disease is genetic in nature. So a lot of it is Oh, you're saying the rest of it's our fault? (laughs) (laughs) It's our lifestyle. It's our environment. uh, It's what we put into our bodies. It's our lifestyle and everything else that come with it. And one of the nice things which we get to share with the world is there's actually a DNA biomarker called epigenetics that sits on top of our DNA hardware that is sort of an on-off switch that turns genes on and off uh, when it comes into contact with certain lifestyle and environment. And so what it allows us to do is get the idea of how much is this lifestyle and environment using the objective DNA biomarker in the form of epigenetics contributes to heart disease, but also how can we leverage that information to treat people in a more personalized manner.
2: Okay. Two, first of all, two questions for you. Number one, mm-hmm. we're all used to our wearables, right? Whether it be an Apple Watch mm-hmm. or it be a, a Fitbit sure. or a little bit of gravy from the Atlasta. Yeah. But but if you look, but what's interesting is they'll give you if you have tachycardia, they'll give you if you have AFib, they'll tell you what your heart rate is, but they don't detect early signs of heart attack. And is and first of all, first question, isn't that the secret sauce? Second question is, if this is an eighty percent, eighty percent, or seventy percent of, of lifestyle, eighty percent, eighty percent. Yeah. You see, and I keep going back to a horrible analogy from nineteen seventy-three. But I think about Jim Fix, the runner, the champion runner, okay, who was eating. A, he was a vegan, mm-hmm. okay, but he did wear a leather belt. Um, he was a vegan, but he dropped dead of a heart attack. Mm-hmm. So there must be those ancillary one-offs. That you're just unlucky. So, talk to us about number one, how did the science of detecting mm-hmm. heart disease and heart attacks and being? Number two, why does it sometimes seem like it's luck of the draw and not just lifestyle?
3: Yeah. So, if you're thinking about the source, you know, as you pointed out, we look at our heart rates, we look at different ways to measure. Um, what I would call proxy biomarkers, very similar to how we think about lipids or hemoglobin A1C. It's really not the source of the disease. It's factors that point us at there's something going on, we should start taking notice and start acting on it sooner rather than later. The source of where the disease starts in a way, for lack of a better way of putting it, is again that blueprint um, and that's our dna molecular changes happen a lot of times well in advance of any sort of risk factors well in advance of any sort of signs or symptoms whether it's chest pain and you know we don't want to forget that when it comes to heart disease for a lot of people the first sign of having something like coronary heart disease is a heart attack And a lot of times people are thinking, "Okay, my lifestyle is good. I don't have any risk factors. I was not flagged for lipids. I was not flagged for hemoglobin A1C. Therefore, I'm in the clear. But if you take a step back, what we're doing there is we are making an inference that all of these look normal. Therefore, our risk is lower. What we're offering is an opportunity to say yes, those things are important and necessary to understand and manage, but also we now have an opportunity to directly understand risk for heart disease without needing to extrapolate all okay, of those. Okay, me, I have a
2: question. So you guys understand what blue zones are? You ever heard of blue zones? Oh yeah. In in the, in the world, so certain blue zones that have uh, that have um, um, a healthier lifestyle. Let me give you an example. Um, some of the blue zones typically don't have furniture in their living room. So they're doing mm-hmm. about 40 squats a day because yep. they're sitting on the floor, standing up. Um, the blue zone's living on not a Mediterranean diet, but typically a pescatarian diet. Yet there are still folks that dropped out of a heart attack there. So my question is, and look, I'm, I'm not questioning the lifestyle part of it. What I'm questioning is detection, right? De- isn't early detection maybe the answer to everything, regardless if you live in a blue zone or you're a triathlete or you're, well, Mike? The fried zone. The fried zone. <laughs> I mean, because isn't what you are doing, because what I'm getting to is you guys seem to be at the tip of the spear and figuring out it's not just about resolving when you have a heart attack or if you have a heart attack, but detecting prior to and, and, and intersecting the lifestyle with science. Talk about that a little bit.
3: Yeah. So one of the key elements, as I pointed out, is heart disease is largely preventable. But to be able to know that there's something wrong and to understand who needs what kind of help, we need to have that data and information. And that's exactly okay. what we provide. We provide insights that you currently cannot get through any other tools that layers two types of information. Are you walking around with genetic markers that you that may or may not elevate your risk for heart disease? And two, how is that being um, present or absence of it in the context of your lifestyle and environment. And the reason I bring both of those up is something called gene-environment interaction. Um, humor me, if you if you will, I, I want to share a, a, an example that I think of course. would be easier to illustrate. So if you and I walked out on a very hot day out under the hot sun, I am Southeast Asian, as you can see. I, um, you know, I'm someone who grew up in Malaysia. And if you and I walk out under a really hot day, under really hot sun, one of us is gonna get more sunburned. And that's not me, it's more likely to be you. And that is not just a function of our environment because it was hot exactly, we're standing right next to each other outside, but it's the environment in that it being hot coupled to, how we are built genetically as someone, in my case, having more pigment than you do in your skin. So it's not just the genetics, it's not just the environment, but how the genes and the environment come together in conferring our risk. And that is something that holds for a lot of complex diseases, including heart disease. So you cannot look at genetics in void of lifestyle and environment and vice versa. Do you anticipate your technology getting into places like college athletics, where you, you know we often see um, athletes—not often, but you know oh, yeah. some pretty severe cases. Demar Hamlin, Bronny James, both of those come to mind re- as recent cases. Do you anticipate partnering there in any way? It's to- a
2: great question because they get a little more boozy. They're not exactly, they're not eating uh, kale every day, mm-hmm. and, and it's more like a burrito, mm-hmm. beer washer, and, and Lucky Charms diet yeah. until you're 2023. 20, That's a great question. Is there is there any crosstab there with, with trying to reach out to that that segment of the population?
3: We definitely have a sports focus, but as I pointed out, our test is meant for those who are 35 years old or older. So at this time, it's not quite built for college athletes, for instance, but that is something that we continue to look at as far as expansion.
2: So basically, it's for me and James, 35 and older. Yeah. Um, Misha, before I let you out here, first of all, will you come back with us and spend a whole hour? Here's what I want to ask you real quickly. What exactly does CardioDiagnostics do with respect to all of those cross-tabs you just told us? What is, the, what is the secret sauce there for you folks?
3: Yeah, we've built a very simple blood test It's non-invasive, it's a simple blood test, it can be deployed remotely or in a provider's office, and it looks at genetic and epigenetic markers to one, tell people if they're at risk of having a heart attack in the next three years, and our second test is to tell if you're walking around with undiagnosed coronary heart disease, and more importantly, use those individual biomarkers to say, what should we be focusing on to help this person prevent uh, a heart attack?
2: Show of hands, who doesn't want to take this test? Who does not want to take this test? <laughs> I want to take two. Yeah. Go ahead, guys. Misha, will you come back with us? I need you to come to San Diego. We can have an hour with you. Fantastic. Oh, boy. Misha Dugan CEO and co-founder of Cardio Diagnostics, stock CDIO. Awesome.
0: Live from I, the Loft One Hundred Studios in sunny San Diego, California. It is the Big Biz Show, along with our executive producer Greg Todorov. I'm Costa, and the man behind the bar, stirring your financials. Right, Here, here rate, I come. Just got from, just got back from the studio. I am stage. I'm clearly short
2: for my weight. I loved you in Game of Thrones. Okay. By the way, if you saw, if you saw, if you saw people, like. Everybody under the age of four is what, a drunken midget, right? That's what we call them? Oh, yeah. If you saw a creepy little dude like that, I mean, I was scared. What, well, it depends on what time of the day it is. If,
0: <laughs> like, you know, 10 o'clock, I'm like, all right, that, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, boy, I'm in trouble. Mike, of course, has yeah. a part-time job at the Moon Glow Lounge. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just security. Am I really seeing this is what you would say at 2 in the morning. Am I really seeing this? Am I seeing this?
2: That is the handiwork, of course, of Alan Paul Silverstein, AP Silverstein, CEO and President of Imagine AR. Uh, their stock symbol is IPNFF. And of course, uh, he—what are three years, four yeah. years? Yeah. He's one of our regulars. Um, when we got Mike, he refused to come on for a while, but I convinced him. So here he is again, AP Silverstein. Want, we need to get you a background yeah, because, because it looks because like you. Mike
4: joining nothing to do with Mike I can, love talking to you can I just tell
2: you we got to get you a better background because it looks like we got next at the prison yard <laughs> yeah with, with, like, we got to get you some, blink twice uh, AP, I'm if I'm not mistaken you. you're the masters of creating false backgrounds um, I have to tell you I populated did you guys take the did you see the, the video from last week with uh, uh, Tyson Fury? Mm-hmm. did you guys send it out to anybody I sent that thing out to everybody. They were blown away. First of all, at the such bad form of Mike's uh, right cross. Mm-hmm. But uh, exactly.
0: But I agree. But no,
2: it looked like he was there. Yeah. And then, of course, um, I forget Rick Flair in the uh, oh, yeah. control room, and you saw Chloe go. That Chloe's a good little actress. She walks up and goes, and walks away. Mm-hmm. And and I I have to tell you, you came up with that that morning. How do you uh, like? T- what is? Talk to us how you do it, because that's got to be a selling point for, let's say, you get the L.A. Lakers. Another guy bugging us around the studio today. Oh, let's see it. Let's see it. Uh, and he kept saying the same thing in every room. Uh, roll that. <laughs> <laughs> roll no flop, we get it, <laughs> Go flop, we have to paint. Let's get it, baby. Go flop, we have to paint. Let's get it, baby. Go flop, we way, to sent Let's get it, baby. And by the way, I sent, I sent, him, out, I sent him out to, uh, to uh, get us a uh, six-pack six and he came in with a handy five-pack um, when he came back, it was a, it was a five pack with a, with a handy carrying case, for his keys and his yep. cell phone. Um, I, AP, can you talk to us about the, the name, image, likeness? Uh, because obviously, you got to get permission before you start throwing uh, athletes up there. Is that is that a complicated piece of your pie there, or do you, or is that the first thing you figure out?
4: Well, certainly touching on Lamar, uh, certainly is one of our clients Baltimore Ravens, and that was just shot for this upcoming season. So you got an exclusive preview here on the Big Biz Show. And that will be shared with uh, Raven fans around the world or even traveling to London. And that's the new ones where the hologram basically is shot as a green screen. And then within the tech and our platform we have around the globe, we have the ability to deliver it anywhere. You take pictures and videos with it name image likeness tied to college sports people where they can start athletes make money that's going to grow into something significant and we're looking at that market very closely we have been working with sidearm sports who works with Learfield and top producer of college content is how to leverage this platform so whether it's softball athlete female male basketball football volleyball and if you saw that Nebraska 92,000 people showed up in the Nebraska volleyball uh, game earlier this week which was pretty amazing so the following of college nil is going to be big in terms of earning potential for college athletes and to make money on their name and their image and likeness. So big opportunity for our, our hologram AR technology.
0: AP, when you, uh, we take a look at your agreement with the, the National Football League and obviously the Baltimore Ravens, do they give you carte blanche to the Ravens, is, I mean, from owner Steve Bisciotti to Lamar Jackson to anybody within the organization that you can use? Or do you just get the tape guy? And the phone guy <laughs> yeah.
2: and the fan guy.
4: <laughs> That's on the sidelines. That's it. You get them to do it. So normally, what you do is you would interact with who heads up the mobile app, the SVP right. or uh, of marketing sales, or the chief. In the case of the Ravens, is with the chief revenue officer who decided to use that as a sponsorship opportunity. Every team uh, has their own called media day where they do the videos and the commitments for yeah. the season. So the ravens did their media day where they got all their players up to go in full uniform and shoot the videos and the promos for the season we've got a bunch of them in the can of all the ravens so you normally work directly with the team there are limits in the amount of players that could be live in the app at a specific time due to the nfl players association so we also do the mascot for right. uh, the team as well and then the mascot comes alive so you directly work with the team not necessarily with the nfl what you're thinking is more like we can do baseball card or other products, and you do a license with the league and do it. But again, when we did Fame Days, we worked directly with the athletes without the uniforms as if they were just walking into your house and saying hello. So, AP,
2: when you first come, came on there with us, uh, uh, you know, my favorite video of yours is the secret So You hold up the cell phone on the Tesla dealership mm-hmm. on 3rd Street Promenade in Santa Monica, and it says, hey, Sully. 15% off if you're walking, and you had personalized experiences. Um, and I know you've sort of departed from that, but we've got uh, sports figures. You also have McCormick. Where's it going to go? I mean, will we have this in every area of retail spending?
4: The future is what Apple already kind of put out with their headset, which is called spatial computing, the ability to blend the virtual and physical world in a seamless way. And what I see is the next step for a as we go forward is integrating AI, artificial intelligence. So when it does notice you and you're pointing in the thing, it's personalized shopping. It's, hey, Sully, interested in the car. We know you like this kind of car. We like this kind of color. These are the things you like as products, restaurants, services as you engage with the real world. And what I see is a huge opportunity in sports and in concierge services, walking to a hotel, and on your phone, up pops a concierge. Hey, welcome to our hotel. So we know if you like to stay at this room, we set you up. Would you like your favorite food or beverage brought to you? And you can ask questions to it. So it becomes your own little concierge host as you go through the entire location, whether it's a hotel, hospitality, concert, or sports arena.
0: AP, how far out ahead of everybody else are you? Are you
4: leaps and bounds from anybody else trying this? I don't know if it's leaps and bounds. In mobile, we certainly have been out here since 2018 creating these. The next step where everyone's looking to do is the headset. And I think that's the direction that Apple came out with. You also saw that Samsung and Google have something called Project Mohan, uh, which is a secret project doing a headset. The headset is where it's going. We got our platform ready to go to transition to those headsets. And then I feel the integration of AI is where the future is, where you could talk to the hologram and we go fall out Star Wars. We can drop Sully into people's houses and he could talk big biz and he could talk music with anyone wherever oh, they are wow. on a personalized basis. And I Who think with the, number of,
2: uh, the number of restraining orders I've got out on the future, <laughs> right. maybe that's not a model that we want to talk about. <laughs> can, I, can I ask you with respect to um, some of the technologies you're working with, like Jet Media and such, What are you most excited about here? Because uh, you you sort of have to, they're all like little children for you and you have to give them all the same attention, but what are you looking forward to and what's the technology that we can expect from a consumer standpoint?
4: I think the next step, you know, we're in Jet Media. They did the Ralton Zeno app where people take pictures and videos. And again, those are using basic holograms, interactions. And that's exciting to people. We discussed the last show where people are like, wow, this is new and amazing. We've been doing it for a while. I truly believe the AI chat GPT integration, we work with Microsoft as an authorized partner around the globe, is the ability to have an interaction with that hologram right. with that, or with a 3D object. Say you're looking at a certain item to purchase and it's kind of sitting on your phone, you want to see how it looks in your house like you do with a Kia or other fern drafts, but then I can ask questions directly to it and have direct interactions. That's the future. That's where I think we're gonna be and take the lead as we go forward through the rest of 2023 mm-hmm. and beyond. Alan Paul
2: Silverstein, AP Silverstein, CEO and president of Imagine AR. Uh their stock symbol is IPNFF. all right guys, more big coming up in a minute.
0: Creator Qua sound has, has expanded. They've really expanded,
2: Sully. 125 million TV on strong. And thank you to Biz Television Network, American Life Network, as well as American Forces Radio Network. In Love 175 our countries and all the ships at sea. Yes. How do you like this last week? Fleet Week in San Diego. Come on. Oh, yeah. Seriously. Can you guys start playing Stevie Wonder? Stevie Happy? Huh, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, we got we had a very special birthday uh-huh. today. Oh. Can I tell you who it is? Mm-hmm. Beautiful in spirit. Little heavy. Why are you pointing at me? <laughs> was, was it your birthday yesterday? It was. I'll get to that in a minute. I'm talking about Jared Coleman That's Paisley. <laughs> Hold on a second, let me look Gene. Paisley Jean Coleman, oh, born yesterday. God. Damn. <laughs> By the way, 30 hours of labor.
0: Wow. Is that all? Like I
2: said, beautiful spirit, a little heavy at nine pounds. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. Oh, wow. Have you ever seen Jared McHumble in your like, happy papa? Look at getting pretty that one, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, what the <laughs>
0: actual hell? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I gotta take care of this
2: oh, now. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Look. It's oh like man. You get pulled over at two in the morning? Convicted? Never, officer. Right. Look. Look at the look in his face.
0: Right. Every father oh. has had that look in oh. their face. Oh, totally. Let now what say, do so. I do? Okay, yeah. when you yeah. ha- where's the manual? When yeah. you book
2: when, bo- when you had Tofer and you had uh, Bam Bam uh-huh. and uh uh Rice, you have the most remarkable kids in the world. I bought him a drum kit and a Lego set with five thousand pieces <laughs> on their first birthday had a dump doll. Don't you isn't it interesting to watch these kids turn into people? Oh it's crazy. Yep. Hey, uh, Steve Brady, of course, the single, uh, single biggest day gainer in the history of the stock market happened two weeks ago. On their, uh, on their press release, that basically uh, gave us hope that there was a cure for liver cancer and yeah, solid tumor cancers. Uh, he, he is the CEO of Tempest Therapeutics. Their stock symbol T P S T. If you can, go, of course, go to tempesttx.com. And here he is, my good friend,
5: Steve Brady. What's up, brother? Hey guys, thanks for having me back on the show. Are you, uh,
2: are you in the uh, Belize? Are you somewhere in the Bahamas now? No, I'm sure? at work.
5: I'm at work. You just don't need to see my messy office behind me.
2: Um, I have to ask you this. You've had two other exits in the biopharma business, Um, and you're a CEO of a public company. You can only tell us so much, right?
5: Yeah. How
2: are you feeling right now?
5: I'm feeling great that we have the data that we released a few weeks ago. And by the way, you did the right thing by keeping that to yourself. But no, I mean, we think it's (laughs) going to be a game changer. And you, you, you said something important, Sully, which is liver cancer is still a really bad cancer. We, as an industry, we've made huge strides in Hodgkin's lymphoma and multiple myeloma. First-line liver cancer, over 400,000 new patients a year around the globe, it is a, it's still a horrible cancer. There's you
2: tons know, of moves. Greg is the guy who told me last week, you, you, I, I don't think you understand how important the data is, mm-hmm. right, the top-line data. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. I mean, it is significant, correct? It was, it's after phase two, not phase three, but it's pretty significant.
5: Right. Right, so we're right before phase three. So what we released a couple of weeks ago, and, and again, number one is what are you trying to solve for? In this case, we're trying to, we're trying to, to use your word, it would be great to cure liver cancer, but we would love to extend people's lives meaningfully and living in, you know a quality of life. Um, so that's number one, we're trying to hit a big target. Number two, we released randomized data, and that's the gold standard of the kind of data you want to produce to move a potential drug forward. But third um, is that we compared our therapy Plus the standard of care, which in this case, in liver cancer, is what the vast majority of patients receive. And we compared it directly against that standard of care. And adding this molecule, TPST1120, made it, I mean, you could just see in the data yourselves, I mean, a big difference across the board.
0: Steve, for listeners like me and viewers like me, explain randomized data.
5: Yeah, so what you do, one of the, one of the, there's two ways to run clinical studies, right? You can just take an arm, like a single arm, and a group of patients and you give your drug either alone in combination. Those are called single arm studies, right? And they're open to all kinds of interpretation. The reason randomized data is a big deal is you take two arms at the same point in time. So you're taking the same population, right, of patients. You balance those arms against each other and you introduce ideally, like we did in this case, one new variable. So in this case, we had one arm, which was 30 patients who got the standard of care and then the other arm, which was 40 patients, got the standard of care plus TPST eleven twenty. So when you look at that difference, and, and what you know, all the physicians look at it and they say, mm-hmm. look, these arms are balanced. It had to be eleven twenty that made the difference. And so when companies move into phase three, in most cases, if not all cases, in the cancer division, the FDA and the foreign agencies require you to do a large randomized yeah. study.
2: Hey, Steve, we got a question. When you saw your the, the the data that came out that day a few weeks ago. And you went from 23 to 970. 23 to 970. Jeez. Yeah. What was the reason? I mean, it wasn't algorithmic. This is not like social media. It wasn't viral. Mm-hmm. Right. This was fundamentally... What do you think the the, the institutions found? And, of course, Johnny Lunchbucket, you know, we, we latched on. What do you think it was that they saw that thought them, you know what, it's hard liquor and handgun night. We're going in.
5: Yeah, I'll, I'll take it off what I think, and I'll tell you what other people told me. It was two main factors. One was randomized data versus standard of care and an enormous indication, meaning an enormous cancer type. So the opportunity is big in and of itself. But the second thing we did that was announced simultaneously is you may have heard about these in movies, but we put in place what's called a poison pill. Yeah. Because to your point, we were at, what was it, 23 cents? With data like this, we didn't want to be taken over inappropriately. So we put a pill in place. So people I'm came taking up,
2: credit for that. Um, yeah. Poison pill, by the way. Is a defense mechanism against a hostile takeover mm-hmm. it's basically and by the way it could go in the opposite direction it's very tough you guys played it perfectly steve
5: thanks yeah i mean and look and this isn't about you know this there's no irrational feeling inside the company that we have to build tempest by hook or by crook right if a large company wants you know to come in and, and it's the right move for the drug and for shareholders that's what poison pills do they enable you to have those conversations like rational business people and not just have your company taken over i mean. Like you said, I've sold two companies before. I had point for selling two companies before. 1120 feels like a drug, and a lot of people in the biotech industry never get to work on a drug. Um, we try and we try, but the success rate, the last time I looked, from filing an IND, which is, you know, the first step to go into people in the United States, all the way to getting a drug approval, the success rate is 12%.
2: You know, it's right? interesting, um, and, and obviously you're a CEO of a public company, and you can't tell us everything, but the, but the, what's the 400-pound, the 800-pound gorilla in the room? <laughs>
5: Right. why are you pointing at him again <laughs> well
2: because he's an 800-pound gorilla thanks Steve. Uh, so Steve there's a couple of models you could do the risk averse model where you get acquired or you can take this to the goal line I think and I if you can't answer I understand but the obvious play here is you, you must be having phone calls from big pharma companies that are courting you and and uh, and or you, I, I, so can you comment at all on that about acquisition
5: no, not on acquisition, but I can say that we're in active discussions with potential partners. I mean, liver cancer, which is the lead indication, is since huge, right? So it, we think that it's gonna benefit patients and stockholders, usually those interests are intertwined if you're successful, um, to partner with somebody and develop this thing globally together. We also have data we presented in the past in other tumor types in kidney cancer as well. So this could be you know, a company in a single program, um, can those flip to m and those discussions about partnering? Absolutely. It's happened to me twice. Um, but that's not our base case. We run the company, you know, to, to continue and to build out and get this program moving down the field.
2: You know, it's interesting because, because you know, we think we're doing okay with cancer in this country. Breast cancer, um, testicular cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, uh, what's the other one? The walnut thing he has affects the stream. Oh yeah, yeah. The right. Prostate cancer, right. but we're not doing great with cancer, are we? I mean, no. I, if, the last time I checked, it was seven percent of cancers are actually cured, and,
1: and we're well, still. so,
5: I mean, cure is, a, cure is a buzzword, right? To Cure. Some people cure is I'm I'm remission. I'm in remission for ten years. Oh. right? Like, well, I mentioned multiple myeloma earlier. I worked on that years back when I started. I think the median survival when you were diagnosed was three years. Now I think it's north of ten. Right. So we are making inroads. Hodgkin's lymphoma, huge strides there. But breast—I mean, we've all—I mean, I friends—we've lost to breast, I yep. mean, lung, liver cancer. These are really, really tough cancers.
2: I got two questions for you. Number one, um, is it true that this could possibly be uh, an effective therapy for all solid tumor cancers? And B, um, how'd you get so handsome?
5: Um, <laughs> my, thank my mother for the the and, and little dad, uh, the <laughs> a, little, um, a little bit of my dad. She's also a scientist. catcher. A little bit of my dad. Yeah, for the first
2: guy, his face. Your dad looks like to fist. Hey, I,
5: no, I thank my mother for my my tanning jeans. No, um, <laughs> so, um, the on the first, but Zully. What we would like to think—not all cancers, right? Cancer is actually hundreds of different types of cellular aberrations, right? Yeah. So what we would like to do is take this molecule because it, one of the beautiful things is it's working like it should be working based on the science, the target it's hitting, it's behaving like it's hitting that way. So that makes us encouraged to go into other cancer types that express this target. And there's there's a bunch, prostate, like I said, kidney, a bunch of different cancers where with the capital- Mike's we would go personality. First.
2: Sorry. Hey, Steve Brady, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Can't wait to have you on next Absolutely. week.
5: Thank you, guys. TBSD, Tampa Therapies,
2: biggest one day gainer yep. in the history of the stock market. Yep. But oh, we know. Right oh, there. Then, Steve, before you go, is it better the whole left sides now? <laughs> Just asking for a friend. Innovative, targeted, immune, medicated, cancer therapies. What's going to be about your personality? That was, that was What's going to happen next?
0: Who we have coming up next?
2: Dave. We continue. Big Biz Show, bigbizshow.com. 110 million TV home strong, 150 radio stations, as well as Armed Forces Radio Network. That's yes, for TV and radio at the same time. Let's not forget our latest affiliate, Bloomberg Financiero. <laughs> Hola. Actually, we're going to regular Bloomberg and Bloomberg EU next. Look at that. For international TV and radio. Yeah. Great to have you along. Biz TV, Biz Talk Radio Network. Did I mention Armed Forces Radio Network? You did. Okay. Love our troops. Costa here. Sully here. Todorov here. You know, like that? Just like that. The Day Trader trio uh, here in studio. Um, I love this next guest. Uh, he was, I think he contacted you here. Somebody contacted yep. you, a, a, a shareholder or something. Uh, his name is Kent Wilson. Kent Wilson is the CEO, president, and founder of Alpine Four Holdings, uh, ALPP. It is really an interesting company because um, this, is ta- this is talking about vertical integration at its finest. And I present you once again with Kent Ken Wilson. Kent, how are you, sir?
1: I'm doing well, how are you?
2: Great to have you along. Hey, uh, since you're on a little bit different time than you were last time, and there's we're picking up new affiliates all the time, give us a top down on what Alpine Four Holdings does.
1: Of course. Yeah, Alpine Four is a, you know, leading edge uh, holding company. We hold different types of technologies to manufacturing. We pride ourselves on being American uh, you know, making of products uh, in the majority, if not all of our subsidiaries, actually all of our subsidiaries are UMS, USA domiciled. We do hold some technology patents in other countries, but we pride ourselves on being an American holding company that goes after unique value propositions in technology, American manufacturing, American construction. And we really kind of wrapped that around a business model called DSF, which we've spoken about before.
2: Sure. So, and and what's interesting here is in one way or another, each one of the holding, uh, holdings of Alpine 4 sort of plays into the other companies. It's, it's sort of a vertical integration play at the top down. But what I want to yeah. talk to you about today is the drone business because we got onto that last time and I got so many emails from uh, from our viewers about it. Talk about Value Aerospace Corporation.
1: Yeah, again, Value Aerospace Corporation is – you know, a unique subsidiary of ours. They've developed two very advanced drones, one of them being the G1, which is a VTOL aircraft that takes off vertically. Uh, It is powered by our solid state batteries, and it also, the aviation, uh, avionics platform is manufactured by our other subsidiary, Quality Circuit Assembly. So everything's vertically integrated a lot with Alpine. And it makes us unique because that drone is made in the United States in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and is 100% American-made, uh, with components coming from all over this great country. Uh, the other talk, product. Yeah, let's, let's
2: talk about the let's talk about the drones because you've got because you sort of floored us last time with with what you were showing us because part of which was yeah. sort of fixed-wing plane that that you, that you called a drone, and they had regular drones. Talk about the difference difference in, in, in between products and such, and then what you're developing.
1: Yeah, I mean, this drone is not your hobby drone. This is not a DJI drone. This is a four to six hundred thousand dollar airframe, depending on how you uh, assemble it and what packages on it. Um, it can fly for eleven hours. uh wow. it, You know, it can go, you know, quite a long distance, over six hundred miles, depending on the the flight package, and it can do so autonomously if you have governance will allow you to do that. It can also haul a decent amount of weight. I mean, I'm. You know, if you have a, just a robust sensor package, that could be five to ten pounds. Uh, but if you want to haul cargo, we can you know, can lift that thing. We can lift twenty five pounds if we need to, uh, and go quite a great distance with it. So it's a great airframe. So Ken, use case. Who's your typical customer for that? Yeah, it varies. We try to be very uh, agnostic, but you're not dealing with a consumer that's say you know looking for put something under a Christmas tree. It's commercial grade. Um, you know, you could use that for uh, surveillance of uh, you know uh, large swaths of land. Uh, when one use case that we're looking right now is to be able to fly over you know large you know, uh, uncontested airspace uh, for uh, military applications to provide reconnaissance. Uh, the other side of it is you know traveling goods uh, you know great distances. We have a medical uh, value plan that we put together with some host governments in Africa where, you know, it might take them a day to drive there, but it takes us an hour to fly there, not even that. Uh, And we can transport goods, uh, such medical goods, to, you know, remote areas. So uh, lots of of things you can do with it, ranging from, you know, one thing that came up recently was the Border Patrol, you know, flying 600 miles in one direction, you know, with some pretty sensitive equipment, what allows us to at least, you know, monitor a border and, and make sure that, you know, illegal activities aren't going on
0: Kent, using the uh, the Predator is, as the model, is this something where somebody can take one of your drones and fly them, let's say, in the Middle East, but the person who's piloting the craft is in a bunker in Vegas somewhere?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. In fact, a lot of our test demonstrations have been from our pilot who uh, was in Canada one time doing a demonstration but needed to pivot to do a pilot uh, demonstration in just I can't disclose that area, but another part of the world where it was uh, needed a pilot to be able to do it. So,
2: Hey, Kent, let's talk about let's talk about the interplay between uh, Electjet, your your solid state battery company, as well as Global Autonomous Corporation, as well as value, because they all sort of play in together in concert in one way or another uh, during certain intersections of business. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, global autonomous is a great one to talk about. It is the marrying of our electric batteries, solid state, which create energy density, longer flight durations, and value, And we've created a business model around it to deliver autonomous goods remotely into a urban area. And we've gotten a lot of positive feedback and governmental support from the country of UAE, uh, specifically Dubai. Uh, we're currently under the process of being certified by the Dubai Civil Aviation Authority, which is like their version of FAA. Sure. And it will allow us to deliver goods uh, autonomously in our mesh network. So we all have kiosk stations all over Dubai, or our our, our uh, drones will be able to fly to, drop off a package, take another package in flight schedules. And if you look at the landscape of Dubai, there are... Hundreds and hundreds of skyscrapers, where we have, for us, from a business model perspective, we have the ability to deliver one flight, multiple packages sure. into a uh, a very uh, customer rich center such as a building, and so um, we have great support from the federal government there, uh, and you know the aviation administration over there, which is also there, and then also the consumer side of it. Um, and so we, we expect big things coming out of there in 2024 and 25.
2: Keep in mind, I'm talking about proof of concept. Last of all, next time you're on the air, Mike and I have spent a lot of time editing waveforms in our radio careers. <laughs> Behind your right shoulder says something that I know means something to you. We're going to try to figure out what that waveform means next time. <laughs> His name is Kent Wilson. <laughs> Thanks, Kent. <laughs> ALPP is their stock symbol well, ALPP, he is the CEO, president, founder of Alpine Four Holdings. You can go to alpine4.com, alpine4.com. More big biz coming up. Stand by. Morbid.